everybody. Welcome to the Hyrith and Other Words podcast. This is your host, Timothy Mangle. And as you can see, or maybe if you just keep listening, you'll realize that uh, this is going to be a solo episode. So it'll just be little old me talking about a, a topic that you've probably seen by now. But uh, yeah. Before I do that, I just kind of want to do some housekeeping and just say that uh, I really appreciate everyone who's listening, who's sharing, who's telling a friend about this, whatever it is. Um, I just really appreciate that. I think that's great, and I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, I've just been seeing that I've been getting some listeners from like all over random places like Turkey and Spain and Singapore, so... uh, I really appreciate that, and I would love to hear from all of you, because that would just be a lot of fun. And even if you're just from my hometown, I would love to to hear about what you have to think about this whole thing that I've been doing. Um, but yeah, so thank you for tuning into this and yeah, giving it a listen, a like, and all that stuff. I just want you to know that I do appreciate that very much. Now... Let's get into the topic of this episode. Um, This episode is entitled, Is This the Apocalypse? And the reason that I wanted to do this episode is because I've been getting that question asked to me a lot recently. And uh, maybe understandably so, you know, because it's just strange times that we find ourselves in. And I think it's normal human tendency to want to go towards the extremes. I know I have a uh, tendency to do that and to want to, you know, assume the worst, hope for the worst, whatever that would be. Um, But yeah, I just find myself being asked this a lot of, is this the apocalypse? And so I kind of wanted to you know, put out my answer to just kind of the general public because, you know, not that, you know, I I think it's an interesting answer, but, uh, yeah, just because I, this is, I've been coming across this and I know that people have been thinking about it. Oh man. And what a crazy thing to like try to discuss and dissect and, um, chit chat about, but now I feel like I'm just beating around the bush before I really dive into it. So I guess the first thing to say is, you know, what is, so when, when someone asks me a, a, the question, is this the apocalypse, is, I guess you have to, you know, you have to ask them, what do you mean when you say that, you know? Um, and so, you know, before we really dive into that, I just want to say that this is the trajectory of where we're going, right? So here I have three points that I kind of want to get to. So where do we get our understanding of the apocalypse What is the classic definition of the apocalypse and what does this all really mean for us in the midst of this potential apocalypse? Um, So the first thing I'll say is that, you know, when someone says, is this the apocalypse or when we think about that, it it's really defined by our culture and our understanding of that word. And I would say, you know, you know, so I did what any person who would is trying to understand a word would do. I I went to Google and I typed in apocalypse definition. And here's what I got. I got two, two definitions for it. 
the first one being the complete final destruction of the world as described in the biblical book of Revelation. The second one being an event involving destruction or damage on an awesome or catastrophic scale. So that's our definition of the apocalypse. And in the first definition there, you can see that it says, as described in the biblical book of Revelation. Now, you know, this being a spiritual podcast, me being a someone who has some biblical um, understanding, uh, I thought it would be important to kind of talk about this idea. Because this, in the book of Revelation, really is where we do get our current understanding of the apocalypse, right? Because those, I think for a lot of us, those two ideas, those two words are almost like, they're almost the same. You know, so when someone says the book of Revelation or the apocalypse, they they might mean that, they might think that they're they're meaning the same thing, but in reality, I, I don't think that they are. Because and we'll get to that. Um, so I guess I want to kind of talk about the book of Revelation for a bit. Because like I said, this is where we do get our, our current understanding of the word apocalypse. So the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. So the Bible has its one book that's made up of 66 uh, books. And then that's thrown together to make one book. Um so Revelation is the last book, and the I remember one of the things that really stuck about me and a lot of over the years is just this 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 one detail that doesn't seem important but actually is important. Now, okay, so the book is called Revelation. A lot of people say Revelations, and that's not correct. It is one revelation. So the story that you see in the book of Revelation is just one one big realization. And, you know, we there's other names for the book of Revelation other than just Revelation. It's often referred to as the, the revelation of Jesus Christ or John's revelation of Jesus Christ or just John's revelation. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's interesting, those other titles, because, you know, it makes it more singular. It's, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is, you know, one person or one entity, which in and of itself is, is a crazy notion. So because the story in the book of Revelation, you wouldn't think that they're just talking about a singular entity or singular phenomenon because it seems so. Uh, it seems so linear. It seems so like there's a story happening, um, but we'll get there. But so I kind of I kind of feel like I need to break down a little bit of the inside because I don't feel that it's necessarily important that we dive uh, too too heavy into the details of the book, and I'll I'll explain why later. But the the beginning of the book kind of sets it up with the author, his name being John, who is believed to be the disciple of Jesus, um, who also wrote the Gospel of John. So he is excommunicated by the. Uh, Roman government to an island called Patmos, where he is alone and exiled from the Roman Empire, and this is where he gets his revelation. And the beginning of the book, John addresses the major churches at the time. So this book was written in seventy, you know, estimated in seventy A.D. to a hundred A.D., which is roughly you know forty to sixty, forty to 
um, 70 years after the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus. I, I said it in reverse there. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's usually dated around 33, this being dated anywhere between 70 to 100 AD. Um, you know, rough estimates there of 30 years. And it's, again, that's not, that's not really important. I'm just kind of just talking about this book. So he addresses it. The book begins by John addressing the these five churches as Jesus. He's the book is written as if Jesus himself is, and because that's you know from John's perspective, he's getting this information from Jesus and he's relaying it to the churches. And then that's that's chapter one, two, three, and there's there's twenty two chapters in the book altogether. And so at chapter four, it it has this weird switch where it's no longer John writing to the churches from Jesus, but now it's. It's John seeing Jesus, and he's seeing this revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is really contained from until the rest of the book, but the if, if you were just to read Revelation straight through, it would be one of the most confusing things you've ever attempted to do. And I, I hear a lot of people who, who aren't familiar with the biblical text say that they love the story of the apocalypse or... You know, they love the book of Revelation, and they only say that because they haven't read it. They only have heard the ideas of it. Because, you know, there's you know there's imagery of dragons and women being, uh, you know, hidden in the desert and children being born. And they're, you know, they're, they're the demigods and all these just this crazy imagery. And that's that's just one chapter out of this 20 chapter, 22 chapter book. So there's just a lot of crazy stuff that's happening, and and because of the way that our scripture is set up, we can't really tell that this is a it's a circular thing happening. So um, if you know where to look and where you can see, again, I'm not really going into this, but there's seven seven cycles of seven. So you see a lot of you know seven scrolls being opening, seven plagues being pouring out, a lot of these these things. And they repeat themselves seven times before the end of the book, which is found in chapters 21 and 22, which is really a different perspective than that middle chunk there. The, the ending is, is focused on you know, the end of the apocalypse. It, it's focused on the aftermath, really. It's more of an epilogue than it is a connection to the story, at least in, in the modern interpretation. But what I've been trying to do lately is really integrate the ending of the book into the rest of the message and not see them as, as two different things. And I know a lot of this, you know, it, it seems really boring. It doesn't really make sense. Um, and so, you know, I want to kind of just, you know, is this, is it necessary to, to understand the book of revelation? And I, my honest answer and my personal opinion is no, it's, it's not really important. And one of the reasons that I say that is because, the second generation post when this book was written didn't really understand it. They had a hard time interpreting it, um, but the first generation didn't. They they understood it pretty perfectly. Um, whereas, like I said, the second generation they didn't understand it, and that was you know in seventy A.D. and we're currently in twenty twenty A.D. and you know it's you know what's the chances that this book is going to really resonate and make sense with us? It, you know, to some degree it does, and and. There's also, you know, a a lot of metaphors and similes and allegories within this book that suggest that 
this book was actually written for an audience at the time and wasn't expected to be uh, you know, held on to past the current generation. One of those being, and I, I really, I feel like I'm going to spoil this book for a lot of people, but one of the things being that, you know, in classic culture and tradition, we kind of, you know, in modern uh, television, just modern media, we have this image of, you know, or this idea of 666, right? And that's that's taken from the book of Revelation, you know, the number of the beasts and all these things. So first thing I'll say about that is, any credible Bible will have a footnote after 666 that has that says this is also interpreted as 616. So there I just ruined 666 for everybody because the biblical interpreters aren't even 100% sure if that's the number that they're trying to reference here. And it's traditionally gone to 666 mostly because it's, you know, it's it's more of a pattern. It's it's, you know, it's it's not as 666 is a lot more palatable to our brains than 616 for whatever reason. And again, so now you're now you're going to be asking, well, why the hell are these, what do these numbers mean? And that's a great question. And, you know, I've, I've heard this ter- interpretation for a long time that it means, you know, the devil or, you know, what Satan, whatever it is, the Antichrist, whatever that is. And I've also heard the interpretation of 616 or 666 is the number that's taken out of if you were to spell the current Caesar at that time's name in Roman numerals. So then if you would add all that up, it would come out to about 166 or yeah, 100 or 666 or 616. So just there in and of itself, we can see that we don't really have a good modern understanding of this book because it's again, I don't really think that it was written for us as to be a warning of things that we're supposed to look out for, but a, maybe a, a guide to what catastrophic failures in society looks like. I don't, I don't know why it's connected with the rest of the biblical stories, but I don't think it's something that we as individuals or we on the spiritual path really need to lose a lot of sleep over. Um, because, you know, I think... I think that we have a modern interpretation of the apocalypse as opposed to a classical definition of the apocalypse. And again, our modern one being more of the end of the world, it's destruction, it's evil, and, and all of these things. But I don't, I don't necessarily know that that's was the original intent of both the author of the book of Revelation and the original idea of apocalypse. Because the Greek definition... Um, again, this so this being the classic definition is an uncovering or a revelation. Hence, why the the book of Revelation was named what it was. Because you know, it's John's being he's being shown all of these things. It's being revealed to him. It's you know, so when he's looking out and he's seeing the apocalypse, he's seeing something that's being revealed to him. And if you want to put really romantic la- language on this idea of the apocalypse, it's the veil being lifted which is my favorite interpretation of that word. And there's even there's a hint in this in in the book of Revelation that that sh- supports this idea of the the idea of the lifting of the veil. And that's it's a wedding imagery, right? So, you know, you have the uh, the the bride who wears the veil and the veil is lifted and and the faces are brought together for the first time, you know, in in the the ceremony. 
So then the question becomes, is the veil being lifted? Are we seeing things with new eyes? Are we seeing things that we had never seen before? You know, and, and you know, the idea of the veil being over the, the face of the bride is that you can see it, but it's, it's hidden, right? And you can't really see it, but then the veil is lifted and it's clear. You know, you see everything. You see, you know, the eyes, the nose, the moles, all, everything that's involved in, in the, the face. So then the question is, is are we as a society seeing things that we haven't seen before, seeing things more clearly? And the, the answer is yes, absolutely. Of course we are. You know, we're seeing the flaws in our media. We're seeing the flaws in our government. We're seeing the flaws in our society. All of these things are becoming very apparent. You know, we're seeing the, the fruit of a, a country that doesn't care about their, their citizens enough to give them affordable health care or affordable education or a living wage or any of these things this is becoming so apparent you know and i don't think any any person who's paying attention can miss this i'm getting passionate <laughs> um and i guess you know in this this interpretation this doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing right you know because it's a beautiful thing. A wedding is a beautiful thing. A veil being lifted and a bride's face being, you know, met and, and kissed and adorned. These are beautiful images. The problem is that we're living in the midst of the lifting. And that's the wanting and the waiting and the anticipation, right? We're still waiting for the veil to be fully lifted. And that's the story that's found in the book of Revelation is that you see John, that he's seeing this, he's seeing all the struggles that are currently happening, and he's seeing the calamity that's going on around him, and he's having a hard time processing it all and internalizing it all. And he, he gets this notion, this revelation, that at the end of all of this, that we'll be brought back together. And, and some of the best imagery in the book of Revelation is at the end of it, is this idea of the bride and the bridegroom coming together. And, and so what is that? What are, what are those two things? So the, the bride is traditionally uh, represented as the church and Christ being the bridegroom and the two of them together. And, you know, he's the one who's lifting the veil, right? So God is lifting the veil. He's showing, he's, he's getting ready to show the face and he's showing the face of society, of the people who are his church, who are his children. That's that's who we are. And, I mean, we as a society's whole, not just spiritual people, but everyone who's alive and participating in culture, society, they're, they're a you know, product of God. They're a ch child of God, and they're, interpret they're brought into the, the fullness of the, the bride of God. And so, you know, those, you know, you can say that the, you know, the, I mean, I don't, I don't really, there's, there's the idea of like the beautiful people in society being the beautiful aspects of the face and the ugly people in society being the, the less desirable parts of the face. And it's, it's a part of the whole face, right? You can't have, I mean, look at me and you spend two seconds looking at my teeth or just really, you know, breaking me down and you can see my flaws and imperfections but with proper looking with proper eyes you can see love you can see a child that that is you know a gift here and you just need to know how to look for those things and so that would be an encouragement that i would just say to everyone at home in this season of you know you're looking out and you're saying is the is this the apocalypse 
And it's just like, well, what are you seeing? Are you seeing a veil being lifted or are you just seeing destruction? Are you seeing something that, you know, is temporary or just potentially something that's eternal? Are we seeing our values? Are we just, are we being swept up in what's currently happening? And so, you know, we have this, this notion buried into this of, of hope, you know, what is, what is hope? And it's, it's looking past what we can currently see and hoping that, and I can't use the word in the definition, but having a longing for this time that is, is a time of rest and a time of reassurance. And, and that's, again, what the book of Revelation, it really tries to paint the picture of that through this destruction through these plagues being poured out, through this woman giving birth to a son child out in the desert, like is hopes being derived from these these crazy things, you know? And I think if you really look back and and again look with proper eyes, you can see that there is hope on the horizon and there is hope for society. Cause a lot of the civil unrest that is currently happening is driven out of, you know, people People deserve a happy life. People deserve to be treated equally with other people. People deserve to have their health be, you know, not something that they have to go in debt to maintain. There's so much happening right now, and it's so, it's so potentially good. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's what I'll say. And through the book of Revelation, there's this continual call to do good. And I think a lot of people look at it and they, they break it down. They try to like make it a Puritan issue or a purity issue and just being like, you know, are you doing the right things or whatever? But I think, you know, you know, moralistically, are you, you know, are you not sinning is usually how it's interpreted as. But the question is, you know, that I want to put forward to everyone is, are you doing what you know to be good? Are you acting properly? And I think that that can only come from within the answering of that question and the knowing of the answer of that question. That you have to be able to sit down and look at your own consciousness and observe your actions and observe your thoughts. And to ask yourself, is everything that I'm doing right now for the best of everybody? Not just me, not just my team not just the people who agree with me. But if, because if the world's ending, the world isn't just ending for you and for the people you don't like. You know, it's ending for, for everybody. And so there is no team then. It's just us versus nature. And nature wins unless we fall in line and we act accordingly. And sometimes that looks like saying no to a system that oppresses people of color. Actually, that's what it looks like all the time. Any sort of oppression, any sort of fascism is, should be met with hostility. Any sort of superiority that, that should be toppled down. And again, these, this isn't... this. It's not a bad thing that these things are happening. It's just painful, right? It's a it's a purging. You know, childbirth isn't bad. It's it's one of the best things, but it's incredibly painful. 
And that's what we're witnessing right now is a sort of rebirth as a society is, you know, we're, we're, we're tired, we're tired of these old values that are slogging us down and keeping us back. And we want to be able to move forward without a lot of that dead weight. And, you know, there's even beautiful image. I mean, birth being a beautiful image of what we're going through, but also, you know, that trees need some sort of forest fire in order for them to be able to burn off a lot of that deadwood and that's that's where that idea comes and and fire isn't a pleasant thing if there's too much fire the whole forest burns down and we're seeing that as well you know there's there's a great cosmic scale that's trying to balance out right now and we can feel that internally because that's what is the motivator of hope it's the internal drive of i want things to be okay right so you want things to be okay for you you want things to be okay for your family you want things to be okay for your society and you i I would say that that is the natural inclination of all healthy people and we're not all healthy but we do all have that aspect within us that wants the best for everyone and i think i think if most people are honest with themselves that that's how they truly feel it's when we get into ideologies or whatever that we start to really separate. But if if we step outside of those things and and just look at how we're genuinely feeling, we don't. Nobody wants to feel like they want someone else to suffer. I believe that. You know, I think that a lot of people who want other people to suffer, it only comes from their own pain. It's a projection of their internal conflict. And so those people need to be met with grace. Hatred of, of, you know, meeting that with hate isn't going to help anybody. It's not going to, to lift anybody out of darkness. And again, the continual call in the book of Revelation is do good. Be, be good. Be loving. Be righteous. Take care of people. And I can't tell you what that looks like. I can't tell you how to do that. You just have to figure out what that looks like for yourself. And I think that's the terrifying part is because people want to be told how to act instead of trying to figure out it for themselves. So I just, yeah, I I guess, you know, is this the apocalypse? I would say this is a apocalypse. This is a lifting of the veil. I don't know if it's the big one. Maybe it's just one of the seven cycles. Whatever. I can't, I, it's above my pay grade to answer that question. But what I can tell you is that if we continue to pursue righteousness, if we continue to do what is good, then goodness, righteousness, grace, mercy, justice, all of these things will rise to the top as the victor. And I can't give you any proof for that other than a deep sensation in my bones telling me that that's true. And I know that that's worth approximately two cents. But it's what I feel. And, I, and like I said, I, I do believe it's what everyone hopes for. So that would just be my encouragement to, do, to you, is don't look at this as the end of the world, but look at it as an end of a world, a world where people were oppressed, where people weren't met with dignity. And again, it's not, it's not easy it, the, the waiting to see your bride's face is, I'm, I've never been married, but just looking at the people that I love, you know, and, and waiting to see them, it's, it's painful to a degree. But when you see the face and when you get to kiss it, when you get to touch it, 
It's so much worth it. So worth it. And again, that's the image painted in Revelation is this separateness of, you know, of this conflict and then a coming together of, of the bride and the bridegroom. And again, that's the wedding imagery. Apocalypse. It's the lifting of the veil. So before we, we close this out, I just want to uh, read a couple of verses from the book of Revelation. This, so this is the ending. So I guess where, where this was really where this really came home for me was, again, I said this earlier, is that, you know, for a lot of people, when they read the book of Revelation, they see this end of the world, and then there's this also, you know, there's something that looks like it happens just at the end, where Christ and the church come together, and there's this big celebration. This is where the imagery of the lion and the lamb lying down together come from. Uh, you know, a lot of the classical um, imagery of heaven comes from this part of the book of, you know, a light place, you know, golden streets, all of those images come from this book. And that's a part of it. We need to remember that this is one apocalypse, that it's that when we read this story, that it's not just about the destruction of the world, but it's the bringing together of man, mankind, and its creator. And that's the veil that's in between us is the lies that are set up by our government, by our society, whatever it is that we're, we've fallen into. So I just want to read this verse. Um, it's from Revelation chapter 21. It's verses 3 through 7. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto, unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is thirsty the fountain of water of life freely. The one that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be their God, and they shall be my child. This is what we're hoping for. This is what we hope for. We, Anyone who's ever been in love looks at the person at the receiving end of their love, and they hope for the wiping away of sorrow, of crying, of no more tears, no more pain. That's that's the hope that's been sent us, and that's what's projected out here by John onto onto God and to onto the cosmos is that the universe will come back together in sort of reconciliation, some sort of bringing back together. And like I said, I don't know if this is the apocalypse or where that's going to happen for the the final time, but. As society continues to emerge out of this hectic season, we'll, we'll only emerge more glorious, more beautiful, more radiating the image of God if we continue to show that, if we continue to be that light. So yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, I, I really need a closer for, for these episodes, but uh, I will just say be the light because that's what we need right now. And... I ask, you know, if I tried to do it, I ask that you would do it as well. Because this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine.
All right. That's it, everybody. Have a good night.